This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. I guess the big question is, why? You know, that's that's what is at the base of all of this. Why is this happening? Why don't people understand what's going on? Why don't people see the gravity of this era? Uh, you know, uh, why are too many religious folks standing with the harassers, the pedophiles, and the swamp dwellers who are behaving more like the pharaohs and the heretics than the saviors and the prophets? Why do the religious folks stand with them? Why... Are, is our government so unrepresentative of us <laughs> right now? Why this tax bill in this way? You know, why does it seem like some in Washington and in some state legislatures are behaving like political suicide bombers, basically? Just just running into it, knowing that it's over, but I'm just going to get this through and just blow it off. You know, why is it that's those are the questions that people really want to know, because you, as you're debating, if you're a political geek, a democracy geek like me, you, you're watching the news and you're like, what? Why? Why? What? And <laughs> it's going to be so fun <laughs> to answer that question. Uh, what do we want and why do we want it? That is the intention of today's show to on to us, uh, possibility politics. Thanks for joining us. This is the show where we feelize our way to a saner perspective and therefore being the change we want to see in the future we intended. Thanks, Juan Velasquez here put, producing the show, running the board as we go. And the why question is the real important one that we want to ask is what do we want and why do we want it? I think one of the things we want that's being discovered and, and sharpened and focused and reinvigorated in this era, in this circumstance, is what I said in a previous show, uh, uh, this Christmas gift, a T-shirt that says, keep Christ in Christmas. And you think, oh, it's a war on Christmas shirt. No, it says, keep Christ in Christmas, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, welcome immigrants, forgive others, embrace outsiders, share with those in need, advocate for the marginalized, Confront those abusing power and value others' religions. That's pretty much what we want. Not a lot are going to disagree with that. And if they are, you're on the fringe. Sorry. Uh, or you might disagree with one or two of those. But that is what we want. And that is and, and why we want it, of course, is because so we can live and experience the life we intended. So if you're feeling like your government is ruining your life, <laughs> uh, we're going to walk that subject back up to your truth and kind of wash that pain right out of your brain, hopefully. If you're wondering about this tax cut bill where 62% of the tax money that, by the way, uh, over $1 trillion of which is being borrowed and thrown on the deficit. So we're just throwing a trillion dollars to a trillion and a half dollars on the, on the credit card. And where is 62% of that money going? To the top 0.6%. Why? <laughs> right? We're going to answer that question. Because there is a reason why they're pushing this through. There are many reasons. They're fear-based, but if we look at them, you will have an understanding and you'll know how to, and that we are fighting back against it. Middle class and poor people, uh, you know, would see small temporary tax cuts for the first two years and then the defunding of Medicare to pay for those tax cuts and to throw it on the deficit. 
It just doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, also, the state of sexually harassing predators, including the one running for Senate. Plus, Trump got one thing right. The popularity of the NFL is dropping. It's dipping, but not for the reasons he thinks. And at the end of the show, I'll, I'll try to end with a quote from a former president that will encourage your belief in the power of this present moment in time. But why? For the majority of the questions, why, why is this being asked? Why are Trump and this batch of Republicans actively trying to ruin everything this country stands for? <laughs> I know if you're a Trump supporter, you don't think he's ruining it. You think he's fixing it. Um, but I think you'll discover otherwise. That's okay. I'll let you uh, figure that one out. We can have that for a separate argument. But why? I want to get to the whether you believe that or not. It's the ruin part. You know, it, it, that's what you need to address is this feeling that they're ruining everything. They're ruining everything. Whoever you think is ruining everything, whether you think it's the Democrats or Republicans or Trump. So ask yourself, what does ruin feel like? Ruin feels like powerless. Right, Something that you love is being attacked and you can't do anything about it. So, And we're the ones feeling it. And so you have to ask yourself, you have to start with, well, how would I prefer to feel? That'll get you to what do I want and why do I want it? How, do I, how would I prefer to feel? I would prefer to feel that our country is actually great. And, and you say, well, it isn't. It's clearly not great. It's like, wait a second. And that's why, that's why the slogan, Make America Great Again, worked so well because people are pretty convinced it's not great. But isn't it? You have to, and that's what you have to say, what do I prefer to feel? I prefer to feel that the country is great. Okay. Do we need a great president to be a great country? That's a good question to ask. No, right? Well, what if, we, what if Donald Trump is the worst president ever? And I know you may not think that. You may think it. You may not think it. But let's say he is. Do we need that to be a great country? No. A great country is 330 million people. So, you know, I love America. I love what's happening in America. Because what when I ask the question, what actually makes America great? Why is America great? Because when something is horribly wrong and goes against everything we stand for, we react. And we change the conversation and we rise up, as they say in Hamilton, and we're going to rise up and we are rising up. And I'm going to try it before the show runs out because I, I, I challenge you to look around for the news stories that actually show what is happening. People are rushing to the street and it's shifting. There's a new poll out. I tried to find a poll that was most agreeable to Trump. And the one I found was this uh, Public Religion Research Institute that just came with a poll. And they gave him only a 41% approval. And this is one of the more favorable ones I've seen. And around 15% of Americans say they approve of Trump and quote that there is almost nothing he could do to lose their support. We'll talk about those folks. Nothing he could do to lose their support. Now, of the other 26% of that 41%, they approve of him, but they say they could change their minds. Meanwhile, on the opposition, 33% say they disapprove of Trump and that there is almost nothing he could do to win their support. The opposition is vastly stronger than, and then of course the rest of that, the other 50, that brings up to 60%, that think he is doing a terrible job. Now it's just not just about Trump. This is about the whole picture. And so we're going to break down why the Republicans are behaving their way, why the Democrats are behaving their way, and why Trump is behaving this way, because he's scared! Anyway, that'll all come up here on Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein.
This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. This is the place where we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found it. That's the point. You're supposed to, you know how this, this life works is that if you see something you don't like, and that's creation in of itself. You first, you have to sometimes know what you don't want in order to know what you do want. You recognize you don't want, and then you pivot to where you do want. But that's the art, and that's the effort, is to recognize that you're feeling like a victim. And instead of just doubling down and saying, I'm a victim, I need to destroy everybody who says I'm attacking me, you go, well, whoa, what do I want to feel like? I want to feel like uh, that America is great, and America's moving in the right direction, and there's evolution, and people are aware So please, let me uh, kind of give you some points that may make you feel that way. So this tax cut bill, and it's going through reconciliation. They're going to figure it out. I don't know. It may or may not still get through. And one of the most fascinating things we're setting up here is that if it goes through reconciliation, which it often does, usually that's a done deal in Congress, that once uh, they each house has passed a version of it, as long as it's relatively similar, they can get it through. But there are some pretty big roadblocks that may stop it because there are some people who will not say they will not sign on. We'll see. Uh, there's amazing ability of Congress to go, oh, well, okay, it's a con- it's, you know, I just couldn't get what I wanted, and so I'll just let it go, even though I really completely and totally object to this thing. So we'll see. But uh, as they're moving it through... We're going to finally get one of the biggest tests, because they haven't passed any major legislation, as you know, in this Congress since Trump has become president, is they will go to Trump's desk. And as you've probably seen, the protests are already spontaneously combusting everywhere. And sometimes it's just a dozen people in front of a congressman's office or so. But there are thousands gathering in various places who just kind of jumped into the streets, realizing this tax bill might actually go through. And give, again, 62% of the tax cut revenue to the top 0.6% of earners and throw it on the deficit while a there's an automatic defunding of Medicare that comes in later, too. So they're going to kill Medicare and Social Security and what have you. So why are they doing this? There's a lot of different reasons. And this is where it gets into the kind of suicide bomber aspect and the way the um, this batch of Republicans and they were kind of like came up in that since that Reagan era of everything in government is bad because Eisenhower. That's why I say I come from a nice family of Eisenhower Republicans. Eisenhower used to talk frequently about Social Security is, is a backbone and Medicare and these sort of things. Medicare wasn't invented yet. But Social Security is one of those things that if you go after that, you're, you're never going to win elections because People want to collectively share in the life's hardships. If you get disabled, if you get you know run you know, get old and infirm, people want to help people, and uh, that's inherently who we are. And so previous Republicans knew that, but then there was this new batch that kind of followed Reagan that said, "Well, all government is bad. We have to get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it." So one of the things they're trying to do. They say, why do they keep running deficits when they always say they're fiscal conservatives and they always complain about deficits? They want to starve the beast, as it says, they like to say, on, on the right. And they, the best way they've discovered to do it is to make the deficit so large, our debt so big, that they can just scream, hey, we're in debt. we got to cut, 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 cut. And they just keep starving it, starving it, raising the deficit, raising the deficit. And remember, if you look at the statistically speaking, uh, Democrats, the last two Democrats, Clinton and Obama, made efforts to reduce the deficit. And George Herbert Walker Bush, Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush and Donald Trump all raising, planning to raise. They did raise and Donald Trump is planning to raise the deficit. Why? Because if it's so big, it forces everyone to cut and get rid of Medicare and Social Security. That is the holy grail that a lot of these folks are looking for. And the difference is average Republicans, people like my family's Republicans, probably your family's Republicans, 
They want balanced budgets. They hate deficits. They think that we should pay as we go. They don't believe in this. They also believe in Medicare and Social Security. That was a stump speech of Donald Trump. He constantly said, we're going to we're never going to touch out Social Security, and Medicare, or we're going to build it up. He said one of those two things constantly. Now he's about to potentially sign something that will end it. And this is where it's going to get interesting. So billionaire Republicans, they love deficits because one Banks benefit. Hello, all their friends, and they make money from bankers, and they have bank stocks and stocks in Wells Fargo, and you know that's why they're trying to get rid of the Consumer Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They don't want anyone to go after banks when they do a hundred million in fraud, like Wells Fargo did, signing up people for false accounts. So. They want that, and that, but that's a small group, but they've managed to convince Republicans at large because of tribalism, because of demonizing all the way back to the early days of conservative talk radio in the 80s where they just started cultivating this effort to make the Democrats to be so evil. Uh, and we'll, of course, get to that when we talk about the, the, the Alabama race between Doug Jones and Roy Moore because this is, a, this is the purest sense of tribalism that's going on down there. And... It is it is the the biggest lie of politics is that Republicans are against are are in, are fiscally conservative, the congressional Republicans, not Republicans at large. They are, but for some reason, because of tribalism, we keep electing Republicans that want to load up the deficit and then destroy things. Well, is it going to work? No, it's not going to work. I mean, they may work temporarily. They may get this through temporarily. They may have a temporary scare. Uh, but when you're not for something, when you're acting in fear. And trying to destroy something, you can. It never works. It never works. So uh, because people will always see that there's a path that but people matter. That's the bottom line. People realize that people matter. So so that's one of them. They want to starve the beasts. All right. <laughs> uh, and now the other thing they want to do is they, how do I put this? They're jealous of the poor. And you go, what? <laughs> How does that make any sense? This is, again, the victimhood of some of these Republican echelons, not your average Joe Republican. Some are, some aren't. Uh, and let me explain. One of the things that exposed him, Chuck Grassley, senator of Iowa, head of the Judiciary Committee, big guy. He's the one who was happy to uh, cheat President Obama out of his Supreme Court pick and change the rules specifically so that they can get him. Anyway, here's what he said about the estate tax, which, by the way, they want to raise the estate tax that only benefits people who make who, who are inheriting as a household over $11 million. Who does that affect? They say, oh, it's farmers. We're helping farmers. How many farmers are going to pass down over $11 million? And let's say they do pass down over 11 Let's say they pass down $12 million. The estate tax would only affect the 12th million. The first 11 million are exempt. Okay? That's how it works. Well, now they want to raise it to $22 million so that... Uh, the 23rd million is the only million that's taxed, which will be a massive uh, you know, tax burden for the remainder of the populace who makes, who's going to inherit or makes less than that money, and a huge tax gift to those who are already super rich, who the lucky sperm club, as they say, those who inherit it. Anyway, he had to have a comment on it uh, because he says, you know, if you have an, the reason you're inheriting money is because you're a good investor, and a good investor is conscientious because poor people, you know, don't, they suffer and they, anyway, I'll let you hear his clip. And, and I think not having the estate tax recognizes the people that are investing as opposed to those that are uh, just uh, spending every darn penny they have, whether it's on booze or women or uh, movies. <laughs> he said 
They're spending. So, so the reason rich people are rich is because they don't spend their money on booze, women, and movies and instead invest it. That's, that's his argument. Okay. And you say, you look at the facts of that. If you're a rational person, you go, first of all, hello, 1950s, Mr. Madman, booze and women, as if women were something to be bought and purchased that you spend your money on them. You say, well, you spend money when you go on a date with some stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But isn't like a marriage a joint situation and aren't both parties, partners working usually and contributing? How can you say, anyway, are we past that era? No, Chuck Grassley is not. We're spending it on booze and women and movies. First of all, second of all, what do rich people spend money on? Uh, yachts and luxury items that cost 15 times the price but still have the same functionality as something, a, f- a fraction of it? You know, and I'm not just criticizing that. Help yourself. I think that's great. I do, of course. I like luxury items, doesn't everybody? You know, it's fun. It's fun to create things that are expensive and valuable. But what's really going on? I'm trying to, I even started to go fell in the trap of arguing the points. Why would somebody say that? Why would Chuck Grassley say, want to attack poor people. The only reason you want to attack somebody is because of you feel you are threatened or you are under attack. So if he feels like he's being threatened by the poor, what's really going on? Why would he want them to have less, them to get more tax burden and rich people to get less tax burden? Is it one of the seven deadly sins, perhaps? Envy? He's jealous of the poor. That's why Jason Chaffetz said, well, if you just wouldn't buy your iPhone, then, you know, you could afford health insurance. And that's like not even one month's payment, right, to buy an iPhone's cost for most people. So they're jealous. Like, what do you mean? How can they be jealous? And again, you can't feel victimized unless you have jealousy or envy or resentment somewhere else. That's how you feel it. They think the poor are getting a free ride. People like Jason Chaffetz, have, have, former congressman who's retiring, used to attack Hillary Clinton. He's the one who said, uh, I could never look my daughters in the eye and vote for Donald Trump. And then two weeks later said he was voting for Donald Trump. So uh, these guys, sorry, I had a little background there. <laughs> They're jealous of the poor. They think that poor people get a free ride have no responsibilities. That's the big one because rich people, some of these rich folks, these rich Republicans who are who are voting and legislating from envy and, and jealousy, they see, they're afraid that they're going to have to keep being responsible and playing by the rules and I have to work hard and I have to suffer, but those poor people just show up and get a check from some government. They don't do anything. That you, I don't even have to debate the merits of that because there are cases where that's true and there are cases where it's false. But the issue is their actions of attacking people for buying booze, women, and movies demonstrates and proves that they feel victimized by the poor, that the poor are taking advantage of them. Now, of course, the other side, the vast majority of Americans think that millionaires are taking advantage of them, and that is the debate. But we've got to shift it from this idea of who's wrong in the debate of who's most victimized, who's the biggest victim, And instead, we have to identify what do we want and why do we want it? We want a tax code that fosters people to have opportunity and mobility, right? No, the rich people say and the Republicans say, yes, exactly. Get rid of all the taxes and they'll have upward mobility. It's like, wait a second. If you rig all the rules and give all the money to the rich people who are only making money mostly on passive income, on the efforts of others, this new tax bill... I don't know how to phrase it that if it goes through in the current form, at least. I don't know how to phrase it any other way. This de- it, it, it makes workers 
working, employment, etc., as unprofitable. If this actually went through, and this was the new policy, and it and it stayed for two or three or four years, which it won't, uh, mark my words, you would have internet startups that would make companies that would allow you as an individual person to incorporate. Because the only way you would make money is to go back to your employer and say, you know what, I don't want to be an employee because there's so many taxes and burdens and obligations on me. I want to be a corporation because then I get the lowest taxes and no restrictions and I can write everything off. And you would start, individuals would start to incorporate and say, you know, give me my paycheck in the form of it as an independent contractor in an invoice because that way I will do vastly better financially. Because if I stay a worker, um, I'm punished for it tax-wise and structure-wise. And so it's about balance. And we're way out of balance. And before you get scared and say, oh my God, they're ruining it. No, no, no. It just feels like they're ruining it. What they're doing is they're once again telling the American people, which is it? Do you want to support the pharaoh or do you want to support the savior? Do you want to support the banksters and the rich folks who live on passive income and your labors? Or do you want to make it set up so that one who put, someone who puts in a day of work gets a wage they can live on? That is so clear to the vast majority of Americans. This, will, this is an easy, easy debate. And it's why there is a rush of candidates that are flooding the uh, political landscape in everywhere, places like Texas, Texas, the talk of it might go blue in some way. They might get enough, you know, they might get enough. And that doesn't matter against Democrat versus Republican. I don't care which party you believe in. It's just that right now the Republicans have sided with the top one, top 0.6 percent. And the Democrats are the one party that seems to be the avenue in our two party system. Again, 71 percent of Americans would love a third party. And that may still happen. And God bless it if it does. Let's hope for that. Let's hope for multiple party system. But in the meantime, if it's a two point points, then that simplifies it. You're going to be four people or you're going to be four massive corporations and super rich people like Donald Trump. And why aren't they? Again, why aren't they? Why aren't they getting it? Well, the vast majority of us are. We kind of just have to wait for an election. This is the hard part. This is the waiting. We saw Virginia. We saw what happened to Oklahoma. And there's, there's insurmountable evidence of this is going to be one of the biggest landslides ever in 2018. It's just going to be just crazy, or I should say waves as they slide with landslides. Okay, coming up, uh, we're going to jump into why the harassment stuff, the harassers, why do folks stand by them? Why are they just saying, no, this is great, I can totally vote for this person? Uh, when you get into their heads, it will make sense, you'll be able to forgive, and then you'll be able to see how we're winning. That, when we return to Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you, uh, Juan Velasquez, putting the show together. Thank you, Executive Brian, uh, for always trying to promote the show and uh, bantering with me. With he, Actually, he does. He takes one for the team, and he talks to some of his Republican friends who are just completely uh, on the Kool-Aid. <laughs> we both do. They kind of go, okay, see where you are. Always checking temperatures of my Trump friends. Uh, to see, you know, all right, are they are they still with it? Yep, they're still on board. Yep, they still think it's great. And that's cool. I like believing in things, too. I like believing in people. Um, I was a big believer in Obama, and, and, and when he did things wrong, sometimes it was hard to admit. But uh, when, he, when he did drones and things or what have you, my various friends would say, what about this and that? And they go, yeah, okay, you're right. That's a big mistake. But the trick is, if you want to love somebody, you're going to do a lot better if you can accept their faults. And like, for instance, most Trump supporters that go, yeah, the tweeting is, I don't like the tweeting. Okay, good. There you go. That's, that's great. Um, but if you're looking for the helpers, let's say you are on the uh, side of 
history, which uh, Donald Trump will go down as the, this is the great thing about Donald Trump. This is what I love about Donald Trump. He is creating a lesson for us that is so beautiful. It, it, he's, if you had to have, like, we have to have good presidents, we have to have bad presidents, right? Everybody kind of admits that. And usually people have a partisan slant as to which one is which. But if you're going to have, if you're going to get a national lesson on whether you think, for instance, personal behavior is acceptable. We did a little bit with Clinton when he was doing the, you know, the cheating on his wife thing. And it was like, ah, is that acceptable? Do we want a cheater? Can we live with that? And we kind of were started to work that out. And now with Trump, we're working on the idea of is a sexual predator. Okay. <laughs> is that cool? I don't know. We're going to work that out. That's good. We're working out whether it's, it matters that a president is incompetent, that he's uncurious. And I'm not saying he's dumb. He was like, he's not dumb. Well, he's smart in his own way, but he's He's uncurious. He doesn't want to learn anything. He's quite convinced he understands everything, and now he's just going to go from his same old uh, playbook, which is I'm going to walk in, say everything's great, everything I do is great, and everybody's going to believe, and it's going to work. Well, it doesn't. So, <laughs> and that's okay. He's that. He's incompetent, and uh, he's got a level of narcissism, which, which you know, presidents have their share. De- dangerous narcissism, malignant narcissism, as they say where he cannot see anything past his own perspective, so much so that truth doesn't matter, facts don't matter, nothing matters, no, no loyalty matters, except he demands loyalty but has no, no loyalty to anyone else. And in the midst of all this, you say, oh my God, that's terrible, you're right, this is, this is good. That's why he's a gift, because we're going to get through all of these things. We're going to recognize all of these. Right now, we're in the middle of it. But 10, 20 years from now, remember, if you've watched politics, you know this. Watergate is constantly referenced right now, which is a baby crime compared to what the Trump administration is involved in. If you're watching the news with Bob Mueller and, oh, my gosh. Okay, so baby, baby, baby crimes. It, it, we, there's a good chance that, like, Jared Kushner, for instance, will be acu- indicted for espionage. I mean, you could see some... Charges that are just, wow. But the point is, at the end of this era, we're going to be using this as a reference. And this is the cautionary tale that prevents it. The Nazis were great for only one thing. They're the most horrible, evil, devilish things ever happened. But they did establish to us that genocide is something we must never allow to get any real foothold. And it occurs here and there. And when it does, everyone goes, nope, that's genocide. We've seen this before. We've seen the Hitler. We know what this is. nah, ah, 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 ah. And that is what we're doing with Donald Trump. We are learning something. Oh, he's gotten. So the next time a president comes along who's desperately narcissistic and so that he just changes his story in the middle of a sentence in order to benefit his own self-image, we'll be like, nope, nope, not doing that again. No, no sexual harassers, no this and that. And so look at it with celebration because we're getting through it. And when you see it through that lens that I just explained that I think you want to try to adopt if you can, if you see it through that lens, then you will see the helpers, as Mr. Rogers says, or his mom would say, look for the helpers. You'll look for the folks that are getting it. Um, case in point, let me play a little uh, Jennifer Rubin. If you don't know who she is, Washington Post conservative, uh, ultra conservative, somebody that if you were a liberal, you would have never agreed with her in the past, but... She can see that her Republican Party isn't what it used to be. And she was on Chris Hayes, and I'll play a little clip. This is the president of the United States, whose own attorney general, whose Senate majority leader says there's no reason to disbelieve these women. And he is saying, sexual predator, nah, come on in. I need the vote for a tax bill. How low can you get? And what does that say about a party that has lauded itself as the party of family values, the party that's tough on crime, the party of children? It is really a low point, I think, 
certainly in the Republican Party, and one of the lowest points in presidential history. And the fact that someone like Mitch McConnell can get out there and who says, I believe it as well, and now says, eh, let the people of uh, Alabama decide, that is really just disgraceful. And I got to say, to all of my conservative friends out there who keep saying, but Gorsuch, but tax reform, <laughs> but all yeah. this stuff, my answer to them is, but children, but child molestation, but crime. They are setting someone up who they believe, and most of them do, to have committed these heinous acts. Judge Raymond. And they're saying, it doesn't matter. You can get a pass in life. You can get into the United States Senate. All you have to do is be with us on tax reform. Yeah. That's lower than low. Now, yeah. this is what Mitt Romney said. Roy Moore's U.S. Senate would be a stain on the GOP and on the nation. Lee Korfman, other victims are courageous heroes. No vote, no majority is worth losing our honor, our integrity. He's in a distinct minority at this point. Roy, I mean, that was Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. God bless him. There's another helper. He's running for Senate, too. And he sees it. He's a smart guy. You know, he blew it with the 43% comments during the, you know, he was part of the elite rich. And that was a stain that he probably couldn't ever, because uh, at the timing was horrible for a, but then, of course, <laughs> we got Donald Trump, so it didn't matter, right? But anyway, Mitt Romney. Oh, yeah. And by the way, they've already lost their honor and integrity, so it's a little bit late. But I, I admire Mitt Romney on that point. Um, listen, the whole party has become Trumpized. Uh, there's going to be a very significant poll out tomorrow that's going to show that about 40 percent of the Republican Party will never abandon him. He could stand on Fifth Avenue and murder people. Yeah. He could welcome in a pederast, and they wouldn't uh, do anything about it. So the Republican Party is now the party of Trump, and this is what they believe. This is what they're willing to do. And the American people, and I think conservatives, have to take a good look at this and says, is this really becoming for a great country? Is this really how low we want to go? Yeah. <laughs> and you say, well, that's exactly, yeah, that's what's going on. Why are they not getting it? You know, that 40% that she talked about, the Republicans, that, uh, you know, 15% uh, of the country, they're not going to budge. They're going to go to their grave. Why? Because this is an existential threat. It's an existential threat, meaning that your existence is at threat. If you are, for instance, a white male um, evangelical Christian who votes only on uh, gays being delegitimized and abortion being absolutely illegal under all conditions, and you are a patriarchal white male who thinks that that's right, I can grab a woman's butt, that's fine, it's their property. That's, you know, I wouldn't say that out loud that they're property anymore because I know better. But the God Bible said that uh, you take a woman, there are your woman, they're your own, they're your property, it's your rib that was extracted to make her. You know, if you're one of those, yeah, your threat is existential. You're going to be relegated to increasingly small percentages of the population until you're one of those so fringe groups that it doesn't matter. You say white people can be fringe. No, everyone's going to be mixed in. There's going to be all kinds of the point is, is we're living in a, in a society of diversity where everybody is different and has multiple heritages. And that's why these little 23 and me, you know, DNA things would be cool because everybody's going to notice that they got, you know, doesn't you saw that internet video where they talked to you know, born and raised Scotland, people from Scotland and born and raised Nigerians and born and raised Persians. And they were convinced they were 100 percent that nationality. And they do a DNA test and go, oh, whoa, I've got oh, wow. I'm a I'm a I'm a Arab with partial you know Jewish blood. It's like, wow. OK. Hey, how about that? So we're soon over that. That is almost done. 
but understand that they are still alive. These folks who represent this group that was once in power and dominated everything for thousands of years. And so they're going to fight to the end. You're never going to convince them. And that's okay. It's just the way it is. (laughs) And some of them are in Congress. And that is why they're behaving like political suicide bombers. They've got nothing to lose. They know they've already lost. The Republicans in Congress know they are pushing this tax cut through because they already can see. They saw the wave of 2010. They saw the wave of all these different waves, and most of them have been there. They know it's over for them. And so they are going to pass whatever they can, get through with whatever they can. But because they're operating in fear, they have to get chaos. Ah, isn't that lovely? So when we come back, maybe a little about the social unrest in the NFL and uh, what uh, Donald Trump got wrong and right about the dipping numbers there. And I'll give you something from Obama before we get out of here so we can feel real good about the nation. Thank you for listening. This is Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, a place where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. I'm Jeff Stein. Once again, thanks, Juan, for taking care of the show today. Um... So on Roy Moore, you can't help. There's a, it's a new uh, accusers. New accusers, actually, one of the funny ones of Donald Trump is out there. Rachel Crooks, she, this is, gosh, this show shows how, sorry, uh, Donald Trump, you just don't, you, because you weren't curious and you didn't learn anything and you didn't take other people's advice, uh, you didn't listen when these accusers came out. You didn't craft your message. Instead, you attacked them, which turned it from being, a kind of hard-to-prove sexual harassment case, you know, where they were kissing these women, where he was kissing these women and groping them and grabbing their breasts randomly when they knew them, when he was meeting them and greeting them. Um, those could have been hard to prosecute. And instead, because he attacked these women, now it's a civil defamation lawsuit. And as a result of that, he keeps tweeting and giving the the plaintiffs more evidence. And it's only a preponderance that requires a conviction, if you will, conviction. It's not conviction. It's not a crime. But they, the chances of these folks getting a settlement and because of Bill Clinton and the Republicans, it's been proven that a sitting president can be uh, sued or charged for things he did before he was president without congressional need to jump in. Because normally Congress is the only one who can go after a president, you know, with the powers of impeachment and such. So uh, Trump made his situation worse with his accusers because they're going to get him on defamation. And those cases, if you read the particulars of it, are amazing and working. Another one, Roy Moore had a new not accuser, a new admitter of reaction. And I think this is good to paint the full picture because for those who are saying, Roy Moore, he's just a monster, he's just a monster. Remember, everybody has good sides, everybody has bad sides, and this is why sometimes people get confused. Take a listen. This is Debbie uh, Debbie Wesson Gibson, who was involved with Roy Moore back then. I was in the attic taking bins of Christmas decorations down, and I noticed one remaining bin in the attic, and when I glanced inside... Um, that's when I saw the memories book, and I opened it up to the first page, and it says I was 17 years old. So I realized, well, this is uh, this is my high school senior year memory book. And as I turned the pages, um, I came across a card, and it was a high school graduation greeting card from Roy Moore. Happy graduation, Debbie. I wanted to give you this card myself. I know that you'll be a success in anything you do, Roy. I've known Roy Moore for many years, and I met him in 1981, and we dated for a brief time, and we kissed with my consent. She was 17, he was 34. And um, I'm very sad that he's decided to say he doesn't know me. Let me state once again, I do not know any of these women. 
did not date any of these women, have not engaged in any sexual misconduct with anyone. I felt like this was the first thing that I've seen that I know personally for a fact to be a lie from his mouth. And he's spewing the lie from the pulpit of a church. It's simply dirty politics. He did not perpetrate sexual misconduct toward me, nor have I ever claimed that. But I now know for sure that he is a liar. Instead of answering my questions, Mr. Moore reached over and began groping me and putting his hands on my breast. I just couldn't imagine him doing something like that. And then when I saw the interview from Beverly and I saw his handwriting in her yearbook, my heart just sank. And when I saw what I knew to be Roy Moore's handwriting, I just began to sob openly. I mean, if you see it, you can't see the video side by side. I don't know anything about handwriting, but you, it's unavoidable. You look at it and you go, well, that's, if that's not the same person, that's incredibly close. And of course, both of them signed at Roy Moore, so. Wednesday night, March 4th, 81, Roy S. Moore and I went out for the first time. We went out to eat at Catfish Cabin in Albertville. I had a great time. You liked her. The two women she who claimed her. sexual misconduct, it's not hard to believe them. It's painful to believe them. Yeah. It's sad. Um, it takes what I thought was a very lovely part of my past, and it colors it, and it changes it uh, irrevocably. It changes it permanently. Beverly, if you're watching, Lee, if you're watching, I believe both of you. That's such an important part of the story. You say, well, how do people still believe in that guy? How can you still believe in that guy? Because a lot of people did have good... Everybody has good sides and bad sides. Even the most evil people, where they say Hitler was good to his... Nice to his dogs. You know, it's like... And that a lot. I know a lot of friends who literally judge people by whether or not they're nice to their dogs. And that could have been enough of my criteria. Well, he's nice to his dogs. That's good enough for me. Now, I'm not saying anybody would accept Hitler. But we know what Hitler was. When Hitler was just being accused of something, and if you were a dog lover, you might have gone, well, I don't know if I want to believe all that. And that's an extreme case. And you say, well, that's not impossible. This is what's happening. There are folks who are behind these harassers and these predators, predators of children, uh, because they were also good guys at the time. And she thought he was wonderful. He was a major. This was a great part of, you know, of her life, she felt like. Because imagine if you were 17 and some 34-year-old person, male or female, I don't care the jet combination, and they just, they were really sweet to you and, and you were, they were adult and you got to learn things and you got to be around their wisdom and you thought, wow, and if they were kind to you, they weren't like harassing you or trying to pin you down like he did some women, some teenagers and rape them almost, um, grope, grope them, certainly assault them. So it, 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 again, like she said, it's not hard to believe the accusers. It's just sad to believe them. She didn't want to believe that Roy Moore was as gross and awful as he was, but she's willing to evolve. And we're all willing, most of us are willing to evolve. Not everyone, but enough of us have already evolved. And we don't know the polling. The funny thing about Alabama is we don't know where it's, how it's going to go. It's next. It's December 12th, Tuesday, December 12th, next Tuesday. We don't know how it's going to go because they've never really had a lot of professional polling in Alabama to get a sense of the electorate because it's always been such a reliably red state. There's just no point. The big pollsters don't go in there. Well, they have been lately. And you know what they're discovering? It's just what you thought. This tribalism. When they, because big pollsters will ask multiple questions. So, well, why don't you vote for Democrat Judge Doug Jones if you think this his pedophilia is a problem, and you think Roy Moore is this and this and this? Why don't you vote for Doug Jones? And they'll say, well, I, I, I just don't like him. 
It was fascinating how these pollsters found that people literally said, I just don't like him. And they couldn't name a reason because they didn't want to admit they were desperately tribalistic. And they just, some did, said, I just can't vote for a Democrat ever, 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 no matter what. And they said, but that person's a pedophile. And they say, so what? I'm still not voting for a Democrat. And even Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, told reporters on Monday, I don't think they they think he had any choice but to do that, referring to Donald Trump endorsing Roy Moore, because Donald Trump has endorsed him now, and directed the RNC to go ahead and spend money to help him again. He put the Republican Party all in behind Judge Roy Moore. And the judge, so to that, Senator Orrin Hatch said, I don't think he had any choice but to do that. He needs every Republican he can get so he can put his agenda through. So that's the only Republican you can possibly get down there. So you know what? We're just going to be so practical that we're going to completely forsake our morals, that we're going to go ahead and invite the devil right in so we can get the devil's vote on our tax cut. That's where they are. Meanwhile, everything else is changing. Colin Kaepernick, little fun story. The ACLU, and you should like them, even if you're on the right. I know it's a demonized thing, but it's the American Civil Liberties Union. They focus on defending the amendments, and they defended many, many, many conservatives and gotten them out of convictions, including Rush Limbaugh, as you may recall, when he was doctor shopping for OxyContin during his OxyContin addiction. ACLU came in and proved to the court that he had privacy to that, and they all the evidence that absolutely found him guilty and he was facing jail time got thrown out by the ACLU. They do it for everybody. They're Bill of Rights. They had a Bill of Rights dinner, and they invited several people, Jane Fonda, some other folks, Viola Davis, but they secretly had one other person that they brought in and said, our next honoree took a stand. He took a stand knowing he would risk his job, and he has lost his job, one that he loved and was supremely talented and skilled at. He is, and they introduced him as Colin Kaepernick, and the crowd went so crazy and gave such a standing ovation that they couldn't even hear uh, his intro video that was playing while he was coming out. He has donated almost a million. He's promised to be pledged to donate a million of his own money to social justice causes. He's already given 900000 And it's not just, you know, these the, the, the run-of-the-mill causes. He did like 100 suits for 100 men, which helps uh, folks who just got out of uh, prison that need a suit so they can get back to getting a job and a life. And this is going on. And the racism is, is, is out there. But we're working it. But the, I wanted to get more into this, but running out of time. The NFL is stuck, and they offered to give $89 million to social causes as long as uh, these folks would stop, in, uh, these team members would stop kneeling. And half of them said, yeah, okay, that's fair. And the other half said, you're not going to buy us off. That's what rich people do. They pay for their to cover their mistakes. That's what Wells Fargo does to people they cheated. Ah, just give me, here's $100 million, and then and, and we're done, right? We're good? We're right? We're good? No. Some are saying, no, you have to demonstrate that you actually understand the social cause, that you actually care, that you're actually willing to do something about it. And, you know, we're going to have to see how that goes. But I want to give you this quick thing. President Obama was at a the, what's called the Hindustan Times Forum. It's in India. He's still working to improve relations. And this is one of the things you're going to be proud of. Folks like him, all the former presidents have been very active to remind the world this is not us. What is going on is not us. We're going through a learning period. We're working out some stuff. Trust us. Look at what's going on. Everybody's getting better and better. And uh, he was asked a question about uh, where it's all going, and I think you'll find an interesting response. President Obama, my last question. America is famous for two Donalds, Donald Duck and Donald Trump. Which one represents the real America? 
<laughs> well, uh, let, let, let me say this. The thing I love about America, and I suspect the thing you love about India. Because we're all the same. Is just this cacophony of life. And it throws up all kinds of variety. And there are political trends in America that I don't agree with and abide by, but I recognize as part of a running thread in American life. And yeah. one of the joys that I take about America, but also one of the frustrations is, is that it can be contradictory. Yeah. And you know, we can be very kind we're working and out. noble. And there are times where we're cruel and short-sighted. And in that way, we're like people. Uh, and I think India is the same way. But what, what I take uh, heart from is the fact that trend lines of America, similar to the trend lines of the world, uh, are for more kindness, more inclusion, more health, more education, more yeah. equality. Yeah. I, I always say to young people I used to speak to, and I would say to them, look, as, as bad as the news is every day, Understand that if you had to choose a moment in human history in which to be born, and you didn't know ahead of time what your status was going to be. You didn't know whether you were going to be a man or a woman. You didn't know whether you were going to be rich or poor. You didn't know your caste or religion. So you're just the generic human, and you had to choose a time where you had the best chance to have a good life. It would be this moment right now. Yes. As bad as sometimes things are. Now, I, I say that not again, to, to encourage complacency, but it is to remind ourselves that we make progress. Yes. But we make progress only because people of goodwill are willing to work together and struggle and learn from mistakes and pass on wisdom. And we have uh, developed institutions like a free press that allow us to evaluate and critically uh, examine uh, the things that we're doing. And we've developed things like science that allows us to test our propositions and not just base what we're doing on superstitions. And, and, and all those things we shouldn't take for granted. And all those things we have to pass on to our young people and our children. Uh, all those things are, 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 are values that we have to speak out on behalf of every single day. Uh, and I hope that uh, uh, in my uh, small way, uh, going forward, uh, I will continue to do so. God, love that guy. The humility. He, he owns his small part. And it's like, small part, dude? You're one of the most definitive presidents of our, of our era. And, and, and there have been many definitive presidents, but you are definitely one of them. We are sometimes kind and noble, or, or somet or, and sometimes we are cruel. That is awareness. We are aware of it. The majority of us get it. We know that this isn't, we're, that's why we're asking why. That's how I started the show. Why are we asking why? Because we look at this and go, this isn't us. This, we're, we want to see the trend lines of the world. We want to see that there's more kindness, that there's more, more decency. And it is. You would never want to live in a period, previous era. I think, oh, people say, oh, I wish I could live back in the colonial times. No, it's dirty. It's messy. It's disease-ridden. There was no rights for people. You don't want it. This is a vastly better time. And the wisdom that's being passed along, like you said, and things like the free press, the subscriptions are up like they've never been before. And he says, you shouldn't take it for gratitude, for granted. And the other side of that is gratitude. Have gratitude. Thank 
America. Thank, look around and be in a state of thankfulness and you will see how beautiful and wonderful this is. And this is Possibility Politics. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 